0: On any given Sunday, churchgoers will hear that Jesus was our substitute and sacrifice. What are the implications of these two ideas? What do Old Testament types show us about the most significant event in history? Today, Dr. Bill Petrie with his guest John Ewan will discuss this topic. Hi, welcome to another edition of Differing Things, and today I have a special treat for you. I have on air with me tonight, today uh, my, my dear friend and brother, John Ewan, and he's an expert on a lot of things in the Old Testament and a lot of the types and shadows that the Old Testament talks about, and I figured it would be a really wonderful thing to have an expert opinion uh, talking about some of these things. As you know, a lot of our podcasts deal with the way society has left the Word of God and the way religion itself has twisted the Word of God to make it into something it is not. And I figure who better to talk about Old Testament things with than my dear friend and brother, uh, John Ewan. How are you doing today, John?
1: I'm doing well, Bill. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that you could join the podcast today and it's always exciting for me to have another voice on with me, which hasn't happened yet. So you're the first.
1: Uh-huh. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, good to know, I guess, in some respects.
0: You, you get to be my guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was looking at a passage in Genesis chapter 3, and I figure maybe you could maybe elaborate to me um, a little bit on how you would understand this passage and why it's so important to to understand what, what's taking place here I want to read the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 we we read the following now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. so John, I'd love to hear your take on these verses
1: well, um one of the one of the things that uh, I think we have to understand first of all is What we're looking at is the command from God that he said, you would surely die if you do this particular thing, which was take from the tree that he uh, told them not to eat. And the lie comes from the serpent that you would not surely die. So what you have right there is. uh, But instead, what he was saying was that instead of dying, you would be as God's knowing good and evil. So he's substituting death for knowledge, and he's telling them that they wouldn't die. But as we learn from uh, John chapter 8 and verse 43 and 44, Christ called uh, the devil uh, the originator of lies, the father of lies, and he was a murderer from the beginning. And this is exactly what he was referring to. In this particular passage, it was, I think, uh, as we can see, the first lie that you wouldn't die because of your disobedience. That makes sense.
0: Now, how would that impact a passage like um, Second Corinthians five twenty-one, for instance?
1: Well, um, Second Corinthians five twenty-one. Did you want to uh, read that? Sure.
0: I'm going to read it maybe out of two different translations because um, I've heard uh, when I read it, they read radically different. And um, maybe you could comment on why one is a better translation than the other and and how that ties into what we're discussing here in Genesis chapter 3. The first, okay. tra- the first translation I'm going to read it out of is Second is Corinthians 5 in verse 21. And it says there, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that's out of a King James. I'm next going to read it out of the Universal Version Bible. And it states, for the one who did not know sin, on our behalf, he did make into a sin offering. So we then are becoming the righteousness of God in him. So what's the ramification of the of the different renderings there? One being made sin for us and the other being made a sin offering.
1: Well, the... Difference is, um, is huge when you realize what the sin offering is and um, what it means to be made sin. To be made sin would mean that uh, you were uh, loaded with a blemish as the Old Testament would refer to. An offering had to be blemish free. In other words, perfect. So if you were made sin, uh, that would mean that you had sin put upon you or placed into you, then you could not be qualified to be an offering for sin because the offering was supposed to be um, blemish-free or sinless. So there's a there's a real problem with that translation uh, from the King James right away. And we have this idea of substituting um, sin, our sin for God's righteousness, our Christ's righteousness, especially in that particular version where a transfer is made. In other words, uh, he took our sin and we took his righteousness. And I don't believe that was uh, what the sacrifice of Christ was all about. And when you go back into some of the uh, offerings of uh, the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus, and when you get into things that are in uh, chapter 16, which talks about the Day of Atonement, it certainly um, gives you a better idea of what the sin offering is and how that it had to be um, actually blemish-free. Okay, now I'm I'm glad that you brought this up, and
0: I promise we'll get the conversation back to um, what took place in Genesis 3. You brought up Leviticus 16, and there's two goats in Leviticus 16. And the way I typically have heard uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 taught is that one of the goats represents Jesus Christ. Um, and actually, both goats represent jesus christ in different aspects of his sacrifice and he literally becomes our scapegoat um, that's the way it typically is taught in christianity um, what's your take on that
1: well the um the take on that is that uh and i understand a lot of people because uh the idea of a scapegoat is um, typically a fall guy for other people's uh, wrongdoings. That's what we would view it in uh, the English translation. If we were to get a dictionary out and say, what does the definition of scapegoat mean? It's a person who's blamed for the wrongdoings of others, which means that um, Christ would be uh, put into both of those goats as far as Leviticus 16 in a day of atonement uh, would be concerned. Uh, He he would be not only the one that was offered for the sin offering as the goat for the Lord, but he was also then to be the goat that was labeled for the uh, scapegoat, which was the one that would carry the blame for the sins and then take them off into the wilderness. So I can see how people can uh, get confused by that because it it gives this impression that he bare He bears the blame for the sin that we committed or that, you know, Israel in that particular instance committed. Right. I I do have a passage in Leviticus 16,
0: 7 that maybe you could elaborate a little bit for us, because I think it I think it kind of reinforces maybe a little bit of what you're saying, that there's actually two different goats and they're being offered for maybe not quite the same idea in Leviticus 16:7 <clears throat> again reading it out of the universal version bible and he shall take the two goats and present them before Yahweh or the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle of meeting and Aaron is to cast lots over the two hairy goats one lot for Yahweh or the Lord and one lot for azazel now i know some translations don't read azazel there um and in particular i know the king james itself doesn't um it 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 reads it a little little differently um in in the king james i believe it reads uh let me just flip open the king james bible here to Leviticus 16 7 and it reads it and he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation um, so it reads it a little bit different and I'm just curious again which one there is is more accurate and how should we understand that and what is an Azazel
1: well, in the, uh, King James, um, in verse eight was what you were referring to. It does uh, state that it's the other goat is the last uh, for yeah. the scapegoat. And in the, um, in the margin, it is translated as Azazel, but, um, Azazel is, is a, is a term, uh, that's a Hebrew word. So when you look it up in, uh, say any, uh, Strong's Concordance and they give you the definitions for that. It can come from two words in Hebrew. One is Azaz and the other one is uh, from Azal. And Azaz means to be strong, especially in a bad sense, something that's mighty or furious. And um, Azal means to go away. Okay. To go to and fro is another term that uh, azal means. But when you look at uh, Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it gives this idea because, and I'll read that out of the King James, Job chapter 1, verse uh, 6 and 7 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. So this is also the term azal. He was going to and fro in the earth. And this term uh, to be strong, to be mighty or furious is uh, something that gives this idea in a bad sense. It's not something that would be um, presented to uh, the the term or the uh, goat for the Lord. It's it's showing the difference between the two goats. And in the Jewish virtual library, the term azazel was not a sacrifice, but in, in this, uh, as we're reading through Leviticus chapter 16, the Azazel was not sacrificed, only the goat for the Lord was sacrificed. But he was dispatched in order to carry the sins of Israel into the wilderness, thus cleansing the nation. So the sins were placed upon the Azazel and not the goat for the Lord. And that's why when you get back into Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, It also uh, gives you this idea that the sins were not placed on the sin offering. In other words, God did not make Christ into sin to become sin, uh, that we would become the righteousness of him, but that he made him into be the sin offering, and that's what's uh, being discussed here with the two goats in Leviticus chapter 16.
0: Do you think it's a common thing that both the people typically just read is that both of these goats um, are, are having their lots and both of them are falling for the Lord or to Yahweh? They read it almost like um, in verse 8, and Aaron is to cast lots over to two hairy goats, one lot for Yahweh or the Lord, And one lot for Yahweh and the Lord is the way most people tend to read it.
1: Well, I think a lot of people do have a um, um, a misunderstanding when it comes to the two goats. Um, It it can seem like that because they were so close as far as the, uh, you know, the law of the Day of Atonement was concerned the process of which they would go through, they would bring two goats that were without blemish. Mm -hmm. And then they would cast lots to decide which one was for the Lord and which one was for uh, the Azazel. So which one was for the Lord, which that was the one that was to be sacrificed for a sin offering. Right. And
0: it's interesting that you say that because Leviticus verses 16 or chapter 16 verses nine and 10 Reiterate what you just said. Mm-hmm. Where there it says, Aaron then is to bring the hairy male goat on which the lot fell for Yahweh and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat, which has been designated by lot for Azazel, is to be stood alive before Yahweh to make a propitiatory shelter or a covering over it by sending it away to a zazzle into the wilderness. Um, it's interesting, and I, I'm going to ask your the question here, what's the significance that it's only Yahweh's goat that is offered for a sin offering here, not the goat that the King James would render as the scapegoat?
1: Well, the significance would be that um, only Christ fulfilled the um, perfect blemish-free offering so that he could be offered for the sin offering. Um, The other goat, um, even though it looks very much like there's uh, no blemish in it, only God can really tell. And that's why the lot or the, say, the short straw was drawn for that particular uh, goat, okay. and that's uh, that's made to be the the scapegoat or the one that all of the um, sins were placed upon. So there gets to this um, there there gets to be a misunderstanding as far as sins being placed upon Christ and it all stems from this particular um comprehension of what's going on in this uh, version or in this um holy day of the day of atonement right. the day uh at which you said the atonement is a covering a propitiatory shelter it's a covering and what what uh is interesting is what is what is the covering that is used in this particular um Passage, and also as we know, what the covering is in the New Testament as well, with the blood of Christ being the covering, and that's what the um, that's what the sin offering was all about as well. So, in the in this passage in
0: Leviticus, is there significance then that um, the blood of the one goat is placed onto the Yazazel?
1: Yes. Um, because as you, um, take a look at verse 15 in Leviticus 16, it says, then shall he, or the goat of the sin offering, shall he kill the the, uh, goat of the sin offering that is for the people. Now, this would be the priest taking the goats after they had decided which one was which. Uh, So the goat for the sin offering would be the one for the Lord, and he would kill it for a sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil to do with with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and he sprinkled that blood upon the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was what was covered with the blood of that particular goat. So it was a covering, and the mercy seat was a representation of the throne of God, and inside the mercy seat, which was also a covering for the ark, and that held the 10 commandments, which, uh, you know, you have to go back to this idea of sin being what is covered. But the responsibility is really, uh, I think what we have to look at, as far as what is the responsibility of both of these, say, players in this story one being the goat for the lord the other being the goat for azazel and right. the responsibility uh would be that each goat was selected to fulfill a separate aspect of that particular ceremony um, okay so the one for the lord and then the one for a scapegoat or azazel so
0: in Leviticus sixteen fifteen, for instance, mm-hmm. we we read there, he must then slaughter the sin offering goat, which is for the people. He is to bring its blood inside the veil, and he is to do with its blood just as he did to the blood of the bull. He is to sprinkle it on the propitiatory shelter and in front of the propitiatory shelter. So. We have, I guess, the interesting thing here is that there's a goat for the people, and that would be the the one that has been selected for Yahweh. But cool. then there's also we would have to make the assumption that there's a goat that is not for the people. Would I would I be correct in that understanding?
1: That is correct. The goat so is then, not. The goat that is selected not for the people would be the goat for Azazel.
0: Okay, so then, if it's not for the people, then, well, let me, uh, I don't want to get ahead of my line of questioning here. Um, Is there significance to the fact that the goat for Azazel enters at the end of atoning in Leviticus 16.20, where it says, and when he had made an end of reconciling the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live hairy goat. So it seems to me like what Leviticus 16.20 is saying is that the Azazel had no part in making atonement for the soul. Would that be correct?
1: That is correct. Um, The atonement or the reconciling, as it says in uh, Leviticus 16, chapter 16, verse 20, and when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation, the altar, and All of the reconciling is like if you were an accountant, you were trying to reconcile some books. You were trying to uh, make sure that they matched up and everything was okay, that there was no discrepancy in anything. And uh, the conciliation or the reconciliation is something that the Day of Atonement is uh, bringing at one God and man. And that's what the blood of the uh, goat for the Lord was to do. It was to cover um, the sins of the people, not, not have those sins placed upon it, but to cover the sins of the people and the sins and the uh, sin that was represented because the tabernacle and all of the things that took place on there throughout the whole year uh, was all about judging sin and forgiving sin through the altar and through all of the processes that the priest went through. So that's what the blood of that particular goat did. And um, it it covered the sins as we're talking about, atonement as a covering, but the, um, the live goat that is for Azazel is brought in after all of this is done. And then as you read through verse 21, you can clearly see there's a difference be- because Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities into a land not inhabited and shall let him go uh, let go the goat in the wilderness. So the idea here is that that particular goat, the Azazel goat, the goat that was uh, selected for the scapegoat, as it's uh, stated in the King James, is something that had the iniquities of the children of Israel and all of their sins and transgressions put upon that particular head of that goat. In other words, the responsibility for who's really at fault here Go to okay. that particular go. So, so
0: then, it's not the laying on of their sins to take it away. In that sense, it's the laying on of hands to so that it would show
1: responsibility. Am I correct? That's correct. That's the way I take that because the the laying on of um, hands. Uh, a lot of people have this uh, idea that there's a transfer. Something happens and um transfer of um the sins onto this uh animal so to speak okay. but it's just confessing over them uh over the head of this goat the sins because that's who the responsibility for who really uh created them in the first place um took place and that's kind of the reason why i went into uh Genesis chapter three. Okay, how does Genesis three relate to this? Well, because the serpent said to Eve at first, God did God say that you would surely die. You will not die. So there's a a um a a sin, so to speak that he's responsible for in telling Eve a lie. He's telling her that you're not gonna die if you disobey God. So right away, you can see from that episode that he is uh, he's responsible for the actions. And if you read down in uh, Genesis chapter three, a little further, because of what happened, Um, you know, God found out they, uh, Adam and Eve knew they were naked. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the story after they had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they knew they were naked and they hid themselves. And then when God came upon them and said, why did you hide yourself because I was naked? Well, who told you were naked? Did you do what I told you not to do? And uh, Adam said to God, well, the woman that you gave to me, uh, she she took the uh, tree and gave it to me, and I did eat. And then he asked the uh, woman, what did you do? And she blamed the serpent for beguiling her. And then after all of that happened, he said to the serpent, because you have done this. He didn't ask, what did you do? He said, because you have done this, and then pronounced a curse upon him. So... You can see through this whole process that there was a lie being told, there was a sin that was committed, but who was really responsible for the sin was the serpent who originated it. And that's why when you talk about John chapter eight and verse 43 and 44, Christ called the devil or Diablos, the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning, he was the one that was responsible for all of the things that had transpired. Um, so, it's not its not something Adam and Eve uh, did on their own. Right. They were enticed by that. So it's almost like the idea, for instance, if
0: multiple people are guilty of committing a crime, the one who masterminded the crime bears the greater guilt.
1: Right. Okay. So exactly.
0: in this sense, then the serpent is the mastermind, so to speak, of the rebellion. So therefore, he bears the greater responsibility.
1: That's the way I read it. And not to say that there wasn't some responsibility upon Adam and Eve because there were certain pronouncements upon them based upon their actions. Right. So, you know, God forgives us even of our actions, of our sins. But sometimes, and many times, as is the case, uh, sin has consequences, and we do uh, suffer because of our actions. And so those are the things that are laid out in Genesis chapter 3.
0: Okay, so let let me kind of go with this thought a little bit further then. Back in Leviticus 16, Mm -hmm. in verses 20 and 21, when the azazel goat is led into the wilderness would i be correct in assuming that azazel then it, it, in this in this uh chapter with the two goats the one goat represents christ he's the goat for yahweh the right. other goat the other goat then it seems to me would be representing satan as the leader of the rebellion. That produced sin to begin with and then because of that that go for a would represent him meaning satan and that's why it does not pay for our sin but the sins are laid on it and then it's led into a wilderness so that um so that literally Azazel, which represents Satan would be the one that has sin returned to it because um, he bears the responsibility for it. Would that be a good understanding?
1: I think it would be an excellent understanding of that. He is the one that bears the responsibility for the sins of mankind in the first place.
0: Okay, so when he's led into the wilderness then, What happens with with the goat?
1: Well, there's um, in the uh, in the original account, he's let go alive. He is let go, Um, and there's a um, there's there's a lot of uh, things that you could uh, draw from that analogy as well. Uh, One goat was uh, was killed and used for a sin offering. And the other one was uh, had the sins placed upon its head and was taken out into the wilderness and let go alive. And when you take a look at the idea of, say, a spirit being such as, uh, as the devil or Diablos, when you take and place the sins back upon him, who they originated from, um, he can't be killed, so he's taken out into the wilderness and let go. Whereas Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh and for the purpose became flesh, took on flesh, so that he could be uh, give his life as that sin offering. Okay.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it, it would almost coincide then with the idea that you read in like a passage like 1 John um, 3, 8. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's interesting he doesn't use destroy the devil there, but destroy his works. Um, And it would kind of coincide with what you're saying that being a spirit being the devil isn't capable of of a physical death. Correct. And that's why then that Azazel goat doesn't die. Yes. Okay. Um so the Azazel then was presented alive, right? Um and it's interesting. Um He's presented alive, but the idea here sometimes, the goat for Azazel was presented alive to make atonement with him. But we have to get out of the idea that atonement is only something that's done to absolve sin. Atonement can also be used as a punishment for sin and i i i think you know for instance first john 3:8 is a good passage that shows that it includes the idea of responsibility for the existence of sin it shows a person is held accountable to their own actions and those actions in the case of satan influenced every other person on earth to sin so god very clearly then holds him accountable for this evil
1: that's uh that's correct okay um
0: now in leviticus 1626 i think there's something interesting there as well where the one who leads away the goat for a zazzle, is said to have to wash his clothes and bathe his body before they can re-enter the camp Mm -hmm. why why would this be necessary
1: well it would be necessary because he had uh, come in contact with the goat that was for azazel that he was the one that had to lead him into the wilderness and let him go so he was uh say uh sullied or made dirty by his contact with this uh, individual, and then had to be cleansed of that before he could reenter into the camp or the congregation of Israel and associate with everyone um, because of his contact with that particular uh, entity.
0: Would you say then that that's another reason why that goat can't be a representation of Christ?
1: I uh, yeah, like in, I,
0: would... I was going to say in John one twenty nine, um, you know, it seems to imply that Christ would take away the sin of the world. Well, it doesn't imply it; it actually says it. Where if a person has to be washed and cleansed before they're entering the camp, that's usually an indication of actually coming into contact with sin.
1: Correct. Okay. So he has to be cleansed before he can come back into the congregation. And that's, uh, it's all symbolic. Right. It certainly would lead to the um, understanding that the Azazel or the goat for Azazel would not be something that could represent Christ. Okay. Um,
0: you know, I, I just thought of another verse here that I think uh, really kind of hits home the idea that the one who instigated sin is held accountable. And that would be Psalm chapter 7 verses 14 through 16. Um, I'll just read that for you. I'm reading it out of the Concordant version here. It says Behold, he shall be cramped with lawlessness and he will become pregnant with toil and he will generate falsehood he has dug a crypt and delved it deep yet he shall fall into the grave he has made his toil shall turn back upon his head and his wrong shall descend on his scalp so then taking that azazel into the wilderness becomes symbolic of returning satan's original rebellion back to himself correct
1: yes okay
0: that's that's really a fascinating thing um now in this topic then let's talk about the goat goat for yahweh okay you brought up the idea that he is sacrificed for sin,
1: correct? Yes.
0: Now, how does that fit in to Second Corinthians 5.21? Um, where, again, you have one translation that says he was made sin right in other words the typical thinking is our sin was laid on him and then he died for that sin Um, how would that fit in with 2nd Corinthians 5 21
1: how would the goat for the Lord from 16 fit in with that particular uh, translation in there well he the the goat for the Lord in Leviticus 16 was to be sacrificed for a sin offering. And so when you apply it to Leviticus or um, apply it to Second um, Corinthians 5, 21, then you can't really say that he was made sin.
0: Okay. God so,
1: made him into a sin offering.
0: So the King James by not translating the ellipsis really messes up the whole understanding of the Levitical 16 offering.
1: Yes, it does.
0: So then any other translation that would miss that ellipsis would do the same thing, correct?
1: That's correct. And uh, when you look at um, the translations, the majority of them translate it erroneously. They translate it as, he made him to be sin. Now, as I said, if you understand when you go back into, um, let's say, Leviticus chapter 4, the first five chapters of Leviticus are all geared around the first uh, five offerings or sacrifices uh, that were for certain aspects of all of the different life uh, aspects of Christ. So when you take take, uh, the sin offering, which is in Leviticus chapter 4, it talks about it once again. It doesn't say anything about sins being laid on it. It doesn't talk about the priest laying his hands on the head of that offering and confessing sins of the people. It doesn't transfer anything to that particular offering. It's offered because it's a blemish-free offering. There is no sin associated with that particular offering. And that's why when you get into 2 Corinthians chapter 521 it has to be erroneous because there's no way that you could have a sin offering and have something that god made to be sin it makes it a blemish upon that offering and therefore according to the laws in leviticus it would not be acceptable for the offering and the same thing would go with the passover offering any of those were supposed to be blemish free Right. So
0: then I would, uh, correct me if I, if I have an erroneous understanding here in your view. The shedding of the blood of Yahweh's goat or the lo- Lord's goat demonstrated the blotting out or removal of sins from the people in the sanctuary, while the goat for Azazel, which represents Satan, would represent the carrying away of the sins of the people, and it had everything to do with the punishment that's symbolized by Satan being separated from the saints of God. Would would there be an accurate understanding?
1: Um, I believe that would be an accurate understanding. Okay. The the understanding um, goes a little bit further in the fact that the Shed blood of a sacrifice is what causes the death. So when we talk about the death of Christ, um, he died, you know, so that his blood that was shed covered our sins. He didn't take our sins upon himself. Right. Right.
0: And see, I would understand it that way as well myself um for instance hebrews 9:14 um makes makes reference to what you're saying where it states there how much more will the blood of christ who through the eonian spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience consciousness from dead works to worship the living god the idea there being that he offered himself through the shed blood and that it was done without blemish correct okay um now i do have a question and i would be remiss not to ask this only because i know again the view that we're talking about is not a popular view within Christendom. When we when we talk about these things, doesn't it almost seem like um, when the Lord is on the cross and He cries out, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" That He, in a way, is representing that Azazel goat there, where He is separated. And that's what's trying to be talked about. And a lot of people in Christian hold that view.
1: I, uh, I understand their view um, from the aspect of saying that uh, if they're really comprehending all of the things that have uh, transpired or had transpired in the sacrifice of Christ as a, as a man. Um, as a man, he could sit there and cry out something like that. Mm -hmm. It would seem like God had forsaken him. Right. That's not what scripture would uh, bear witness to as you read some of the examples of what that was um, typed as, especially as you take a look at um, the example of Abraham sacrificing Isaac.
0: Right. You know, a verse that comes to my mind to answer these individuals is something that comes right out of the Lord Jesus Christ's own mouth. In John chapter 16, he makes a statement, which I find to be very fascinating. Um, In verse 32, he makes this statement when he's talking about his impending crucifixion. And he says here in John 16.32, Behold, the hour comes, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And when we take that in conjunction with Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, where it states there, reading out of the King James, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If the Father is going to be with Christ and he's in Christ, Well, he's reconciling the world unto himself, to me that would seem to negate the idea that Christ was ever separated or forsaken by the Father.
1: Would you agree? I would agree with that uh, 100%.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of problems with that. Maybe that would be a a show for a future podcast.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, one of the things that um, I would refer to is uh, when, Uh, God spoke from heaven, saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased." He was referring to Christ. If he was well pleased with him, why would he then turn his back upon him when he accomplished the very mission that he was sent to uh, do in the first place? Right. You know what's interesting
0: too, when we um, when we read that. The choice of words, my God, right? Mm -hmm. When nowhere in scripture do we ever see Jesus address his father as God. Now, he did speak of God when speaking to others and when teaching them how to serve and to love him. But even that was really rarer than speaking about the father. So it's kind of interesting that he doesn't use the terminology father that he doesn't say my father my father he says my god there and then the other thing that i find very interesting is he refers to the father um twice while on the cross one in luke uh 23 34 and then um later on in Luke 23, 46. So you have one where he's before the darkness descends upon the the whole scene where he's asking the Father to forgive them, and then the other one just before death when he commits his spirit into the Father's hands. So to me, it just seems like the Father is constantly with him throughout that whole ordeal.
1: Yes, absolutely he is. He's uh, not going to forsake his son. He's not going to leave him. Like I said, especially when he is accomplishing on behalf of all of creation, the very thing that he was sent to uh, accomplish in the first place. So
0: one last uh, question, I think it's a, a pretty important one. What's the significance then of an individual not understanding these two goats? And the symbolism represented by them what what how does that really impact one's
1: theology well it um if it's erroneous in the first place then you really can have a um a false say a false doctrine when you're trying to substitute christ for uh you know your sins and christ didn't die uh, taking on your sins he died because of your sins he died because of all of mankind's sins and that was the penalty that was due was the death of a perfect blemish free sacrifice so in so doing he gives you through his death the opportunity to have life with God. And it's not that we don't die because sometimes we get that idea that while we we live forever, no, his his death wasn't a substitute for our death. His death was the reason that uh, we can have life. And especially because as uh, you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, especially in 3 and 4, verse 3 and 4, where Paul specifies what the gospel is, what the good news of our salvation is. And that's because of, he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that how Christ died for our sins. He died because we were sinners. Right. And he came and he uh, accomplished that. He did not take our sins on himself. He did not become sin, as Second Corinthians erroneously states. And then uh, it says, according to the scriptures, and in verse 4, that he was buried, secondly, and that he rose again on the third day, so that his life, his resurrection, is what is going to provide us with the life that we can have with God in the future. And that's, um, that's something that people don't understand. He conquered death. He conquered the power of death by rising from the dead.
0: You know, you, you brought up an interesting point there, um, because if he was our substitute and the wages of sin is death, then nobody would face death that believes. Um, because he he was the substitute and he died so that we wouldn't have had to. But we all do have a physical death. Right. So that, that really goes back to what you're saying, I believe. You know, what he did is he defeated death so that we could have life out of death.
1: Well, that's what Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21. He says that, for since by man came death. And that would be Adam. Correct. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. And that would be Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive.
0: That that brings up an interesting question. How do you understand the word all there?
1: I understand that to be all mankind, just as in it says as an adam all die every single human being that has ever lived has died that means all of them and all of us that are still alive will die uh, it's appointed unto men once to die and then i believe that it's uh, representing the same all the, they all will be made alive okay um,
0: you know how most people read that is in adam all die but those in Christ shall be made alive. It's the way a lot of people read that. Sure. And again, I I agree 100% with what you're saying. I I think they misread it. And I think a lot of times, and and this is the importance of doing a a podcast like this one, I think a lot of times our misconceptions or our built-in biases end up interpreting for us rather than what the words are actually saying doing the interpreting.
1: I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think that when you, when you take a look at, I believe it was uh, Henry Ford had mentioned the fact that um, thinking is one of the hardest things to do because it's very difficult and it takes a lot of work. And I think that as we go to school now and what they're teaching the young children now, and probably us as well, years ago, they used to teach people how to think and now they teach them what to think. So you take a look at, for example, the erroneous thinking that we have. And when you were back in school, you were always given a, um, Tests and some of them were true and false tests, which you had a 50-50 chance of getting it right. But most of those were in history classes. But the true and false questions, you they were either fact or fiction. They were either real or fake, genuine or counterfeit. And if we don't do the work to study out the things in scripture, because scripture will define itself and will explain itself, but we cannot continue to just take verbatim what's been told to us and I know all of us have throughout our life we've learned certain things and we just want to stick with those but we have to get to the point where we read the scriptures and faith comes by hearing hearing of the word of God so that we can have faith in the things that God is showing us through his word to be true it's true Um,
0: you know I was going to mention really quickly um, before, before, you know, our time's running out here. Um, I really believe, unfortunately, one of the big problems in society today is the fact that people have been taught what to think rather than how to think for themselves. And, uh, you know, studying the scriptures is hard work. That's why Paul says Study the show thyself approved on the God of workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. the idea is it's work it's hard mm-hmm. so um you know, I really appreciate you coming on with me today, John. This has been fun
1: well i uh, I appreciate the opportunity and um it's always it's always a pleasure to speak with you and Um, hopefully get some feedback from the audience and uh, see what their opinion of uh, some of the things that we just discussed uh, might be well I would love love to have feedback we always are seeking that and
0: you know hopefully uh, people will be more than happy to to give us that their feedback so you know, you always have an open invitation and you're always welcome to, to come on and do a podcast with me or maybe even fill in for me someday. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, I, I do encourage people to, you know, not just believe something because we're saying it on this show, but to take the time to really study the issue out for themselves and come to their own conclusions. I think that's the important thing. Right. So uh, I do want to say thank you for listening today. Thank you for being on with us today, John. And um, for those of you who listen, I'd like to let you know that, uh, you know, God loves you. And I'm so glad that John gave to you the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Simply believing that and trusting that places you into a relationship with our Savior that can never be undone. Having said that, God bless and good day. we want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.